was China behind the Marriott data breach, Equifax's entirely preventable breach, and a one-on-one class on self-sovereign identity and blockchain. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Since the recent bombshell of the Marriott data breach of some half a billion identities, tracing the perpetrators behind the attack has been front and centre. Recent news reports have pointed to China being the culprit, but with a lack of forensic evidence, this may be fake news. Here's the ISMG's managing editor, security and technology, Jeremy Kirk, with the details. Hackers linked with China are suspected to be behind the four-year breach of Marriott's Starwood guest reservation system. The report comes from Reuters and was followed up by the New York Times and Washington Post. The Chinese government, however, denies it was involved. Although the investigation is ongoing, the Times reports that private companies brought in to analyze the intrusion saw computer code and patterns familiar to operations by Chinese actors. It reported that the hackers may be connected with China's Ministry of State Security, a civilian spy agency. In a TV interview on Wednesday, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo appeared to confirm China's involvement. Pompeo spoke broadly about Chinese intelligence operations and said that's right when the host suggested the Marriott hack was the latest example. But experts say no technical evidence has been offered backing the claim. Also, they say many of the tools used by China-sponsored hackers are available online. That means it's possible for someone to conduct a so-called false flag attack to make it appear that China is involved. But if the investigator's hunch is accurate, China would be copying the blame for three of the biggest intrusions that occurred in 2014. The other two big ones were the U.S. government's Office of Personnel Management and the health insurer Anthem. As with the OPM hack and Anthem, none of the Marriott data has showed up for sale in underground online markets. Some have suggested that's a sign of a state-sponsored operation rather than a criminal one. The Marriott intrusion was only halted in September. The attackers had access to data within 500 million accounts stored in the guest reservation database. For 327 million accounts, names, postal addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, passport numbers, birth dates, and travel data was compromised. China's suspected involvement in the Marriott hack adds to rising tensions with the U.S. If China does possess the Marriott data, as well as the OPM and Anthem material, the country would have a powerful pot of data with which to use for intelligence purposes. Consumers may have some consolation, though. As long as the data remains closely held by China, they likely won't have to worry about the usual identity theft schemes. But for the U.S. government, it means China holds detailed information on millions of Americans, which is an obvious national security concern. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. While on the subject of data breaches, a 96-page report published this week by the Republican majority staff of the U.S. House of Representatives provided the rather obvious conclusion that the breach suffered by credit reporting agency Equifax could have been prevented. Here's ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today and Europe, Matthew Schwartz, with more. A congressional investigation into the Equifax breach has concluded the breach was, quote, entirely preventable, end quote. The Republican majority of the U.S. House of Representatives Oversight Committee this week released the report into Equifax's massive 2017 data breach. 
What happened has been a question put to Equifax ever since it disclosed the breach. Here's Republican Representative Greg Walden of Oregon, who chairs the House Energy and Commerce Committee during an October 2017 hearing into the breach. How does this happen? And, and you know, we, we have colleagues that say we're going to, you know, double the fines, triple the fines, put fines in, do all these things. But how does this happen when so much is at stake? I don't think we can pass a law that, excuse me for saying this, but fixes stupid. I can't fix stupid, as a colleague of mine used to say. Testifying before the committee was Richard Smith, by then the former head of Equifax. He blamed the breach on human error. system we have in place is security gets notification, and it's not uncommon to get notification from software providers routinely about vulnerabilities that are discovered. They follow the protocol, which is to notify the appropriate people uh, within the time frame that the protocol called for. Unfortunately, the human error was, was the individual who was responsible for communicating in the organization to apply the patch did not. In fact, the breach was the fault of much more, as the report makes clear. And for that reason alone, the report is a must-read for any organization charged with securely handling or storing people's personal information. Here's how the attack went down. Two months after Equifax failed to patch one of its Apache Struts implementations, which it was using to keep alive a 70s-era customer dispute portal, hackers exploited a known flaw in struts. Over the next 76 days, attackers dropped 30 web shells, giving them backdoor access to Equifax's network. Once there, they ransacked a few databases and found unencrypted passwords stored in a test environment that gave them access to about 50 more databases. Equifax only spotted the attack because it finally renewed a security certificate that its data exfiltration technology required to run, but the certificate had remained lapsed for 19 months. Once it was back up and running, it started sounding data exfiltration alerts. By then, as best as Equifax can tell, based on incomplete log data, hackers compromised personal data for nearly half of the total U.S. population. All told, 148 million individuals in the U.S., or 56% of all American adults, had their personal data exposed. The breach also exposed data for 15 million U.K. citizens and about 20,000 Canadians. As the House report makes clear, the breach didn't have to happen. And the report says that big-picture problems were primarily to blame. Specifically, the report found that there were no clear lines of authority in Equifax's IT management structure. In addition, Equifax had been aggressively expanding, which had resulted in an extremely complex IT environment, including numerous legacy systems. While Equifax had begun a legacy infrastructure modernization effort, it wasn't concluded in time to stop the breach. Meanwhile, security experts say hackers had their choice of bugs to exploit, including multiple SQL injection flaws. But what they did exploit was a vulnerability in struts, which Equifax failed to patch, despite its in-house global threat and vulnerability management team having issued a critical alert to 400 internal employees requiring that they update all Struts instances within 48 hours, and then holding a meeting one week later to review their progress. Experts say that fact alone, having a rule that requires critical patches to be installed within 48 hours of their release, and then holding a meeting to review progress five days after everyone should have already installed the patch, suggests that whatever the rules, the reality was different. And that reality appears 
to have helped precipitate a hack that has been a massive headache, not just for Equifax, but more than 150 million victims of its breach. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Finally, as we close out the year, I'm reaching out to a number of subject matter experts in the fields of cybersecurity, fraud and identity to find out what's on their radar for 2019. First of these was Aviva Lytan, VP and Distinguished Analyst at Gartner. Aviva recently published 2019 predictions around blockchain in identity management. A phrase that keeps coming up is self-sovereign identity. I asked Aviva to elaborate on just what self-sovereign identity is and how it ties into blockchain. Here's her response. Self-sovereign identity is a pretty cool term and it is what it sounds like. So what it means is that I control my own identity online. So that means the data is mine. I don't share it with anyone unless I want to. And when I share it, I share it in a privacy-preserving manner. So theoretically, you can use technology that proves, let's say, I'm over 18, but doesn't disclose my date of birth. So it puts the consumer in charge of their identity. Only they can release the data. They've got the private key, and they can release the data in an anonymous way so they never have to disclose personal sensitive information. So let's say I share my driver's license with you, Nick. Let's say you're running a bar, and I want to prove that I'm over 18 so I can drink at your bar. So I come into your bar and I decide to share my identity with you. But all you get is an assertion and a claim that, yes, I am over 18 according to the DMV. And now you know that and there's a history that you validated my identity. But all you know is that I'm over 18. You don't know my date of birth. And you know that the DMV said I'm over 18. If I decide that I don't want to do business with you, I never want to come back to your bar, I just won't come back to your bar. It's not like you have any personal information on me anyway. Got it. That's actually, that's very interesting. So it's, it's again, the, the least you need to know rather than everything you need to know. Exactly. And it's not stored in a big central database or even a small central database. Right now, data breaches exist because there's data to steal that's centrally aggregated. With decentralized identity, there's no central storage of data. Okay, so can you explain to me, again, how how blockchain plays into this? So how how does identity management on the blockchain work without getting completely uh, caught up with uh, having to explain the complexities of blockchain and, and so on and so forth? So blockchain is really not used for what I'm describing. It's a feature of blockchain that's used, which is called distributed ledger technology. And what distributed ledger technology enables is everybody gets a copy of the same database. So the bar has the same copy that the DMV has, that the Passport Bureau has. Everybody's got the same ledger of activity that took place. And those activity records are immutable, which means no one can ever change it. So there's no, remember, there's no personal data that's stored on the blockchain here or on the distributed ledger. That, that's the feature that's being used here. But there is a history that 
this identity was vetted at the bar and the driver's license issuer was the origin of identifying that identity. So there's a history of the transactions that took place, but it's all anonymized. So uh, it basically is a ledger of any immutable data that you want to store. And not everybody stores the same data. There's different identity schemes out there for self-sovereign identities. So they all do it a little differently. There's some that are gaining more traction than others. But all they use the blockchain distributed ledger technology for is storing the information that they want to keep as an audit trail. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.